So the dramatic unveiling is that I am now an auntie to a little guy called Jesse Edward Handage. <laughs> Isn't he perfect? So that's him, and most importantly, I'm an auntie. So I've been very busy being that this week. <laughs> And being a mommy and being a farmer, for those of you who don't know me. And um, for those of you who don't know me, once upon a time, I had a little bit of a hand in doing a couple of hours here, putting this building together. A couple of hours and then the other couple of thousand my husband did, (laughs) along with Noel and so many of you. Uh, And then once another upon a time, um, God put it on my heart to become a counselor. You know, farmer, mother architect, why not? It's the natural progression, right? But it actually is a perfectly natural progression to me because, you see, I have been incredibly curious since I can remember. I can remember being a really small child, walking up from the farmyard where we live now, up towards my mother's house, up through the gate, walking through the garden, and just having this sense of like, I'm really young, but I feel like I know a lot, and what else am I going to know when I'm bigger? I just had this question go through my head, like, I wonder how differently I will think when I'm bigger because I just feel like I, I, I just feel like I'm me. I just had this sense of me. But at the same time, I had this question of who am I really? Who am I really? And it's, it's really stayed with me my entire life. And I would say at least half of my life has been spent really trying to answer this question. I don't know if everybody is as driven by this question as I am. I think some of us more subconsciously than consciously. Um, But what I've come to realize being a counselor is that not answering this question, so we can go to the next slide. Um, We're going to talk about questions of identity. But not answering this question in your heart causes a lot of problems in your life. Not knowing who am I really. Because we have to know. Because we're operating in a confusing and very discouraging world sometimes and we suffer and life seems meaningless and if we don't get this question which follows very closely the question that we've been questions we've been looking at what is truth and who is God and why pursue him this is really one of those pieces that if we were to dig down under the building of our life it's down there in the foundation and it's informing everything that stands upon it so this building here is sitting on some foundations and don't know if many of you know this, or many of you would care. When we were in the process of designing it, this was a big empty shell when we got in here. Literally, a big empty shell. Four walls, exposed roof, no upstairs, no stairs, no kitchen, nothing. Um, we had to figure out a way of putting in a first floor that will stay up, right? Without having big columns coming in here in the middle of the room, right? So what we figured out was, well, we're going to hang the first floor from the roof. And for anybody who's interested, that's actually engineering-wise, the structure of this building. There's a big truss going down the middle of the building upstairs, and that hangs the first floor from the roof, which I think is really cool. We got that far, and the engineers came, and they said, well, hang on. You forgot about the columns on the walls. And we said, what columns on the walls? Well, that delayed us about how many months? They said, well, you have to put some columns on the wall too because hanging it from the roof is just not quite going to do it. And we said, well, why not? And they said, well, because the walls over there, you see, are hollow blocks, just in case you were interested. 
So we had to put in these columns afterwards, but we had to dig out the ground and put in foundations to put in those columns. You see the little bits sticking out on the walls? Who knows that it's much harder afterwards to dig out the ground and put in foundations afterwards? <laughs> it's trickier. So is it a good idea to have that foundation right? Is it important that it's there? So important. So we've been encouraging you through this series... And you can see I'm really excited about this series because I love questions because I believe that the way that you dig out and put in your foundation is by asking the right questions. You with me? So I'm going to do some brain exercises with you now this morning. <clears throat> you ready? Because I'm not going to do all the work because I have a little bit of a bit of a cold going on here. Um, so I'm going to get you to break into little groups of four or five if you're comfortable. If you're not comfortable in a group, that's okay. You can do this on your own. Grab a piece of paper and a pen. And I want you in groups to come up with as many questions as you can about identity. For example, how can I know who I am? Or can I know who I am? Or who tells me who I am? Do you get me? Oh, go back. They're not allowed to see the questions yet, Sarah. They, they, were, they were my questions. But they're just some examples. Anybody confused? Any, everybody has some paper? You can use your phone if you want to. I want you to get your brain muscles exercised. I bet Toby will have the best, best ones. So how many questions can you come up with that we could ask as a person or as people about identity? Okay, we done? I'm so encouraged that you're all still going. Okay, take a little tally and just tell me how many questions you came up with. Yes, there is a quality issue here, I agree. There can be a quality issue. How many? Nine up front, Rosita. Three, ten, ten. Five? Excellent. Rafa? How many? <laughs> okay, how about you guys down here? How many questions? Four? Good job, guys. Okay. Let's bring it in. I'm going to take four questions just to get you to shout out a few of them. Bible say, what, does, what or who does the Bible say I am? Okay, what or who does the Bible say I am? Maybe. What defines me? What defines me? Excellent. Give us your best one up here, guys. How much did God deposit in me? How much did God deposit in me? Nice. Okay, give us your good juicy one. I had a great one. Am I obsessed with myself? Am I obsessed with myself? That is just bang on because that is a really important one. Anybody else want to give us one? No, this is the great one. Um, she said, how do I find out who I am? And how do I know that answers I am getting is the right ones? Okay, can we give it up? I think that's 
Bingo. <laughs> Great question. Questions. Anybody over here? Grace has one. Um, how do adults really see young people? Oh, I love it. Because this went through my head for all those teenage years and for a bit afterwards. So Grace said, how do adults really see young people. How do adults really see young people? I think we could spend the entire morning on that one. One more over here. Anybody? Am I who God wants me to be? Excellent. Am I who God wants me to be? Good question. Who did I miss? It's not, it's not even mine. Um, who or what are we identifying with in order to know who we are? It's yes, who are we identifying with or what? Which actually hits on the core of what we're going to talk about this morning because we are not able to see ourselves in a vacuum. <clears throat> Hence why I have brought along my little props again this morning. That we need a mirror to see ourselves because in a vacuum we cannot know who we are. Guys, could we spend a month just on those questions? So good. Anybody here want me to come back to? They're great. Did it get your brain kind of turning a little bit? Make you curious a little bit? Okay, so I sat down for just two minutes when I started to do this, and here are some of my questions. Sorry, you can throw them up now. How can I know who I am? Can I know how I am? Is it even possible at all? Uh, who tells me who I am? Who first told me who I am? Did I believe them? Do I still believe them? Who do my friends, family, society say that I am? What does the Bible say that? Who does the Bible say that I am? And do I believe it? And if I don't, why not? It's going to be one of my questions. Can I decide who I am? Can I? Can I decide? Um, does who I am have worth? <clears throat> and then the next one, am I enough? Am I a failure? Am I valued? Am I loved? Does knowing who I am change my life? Does it matter? Does me knowing who I am change how I interact with others? Has, how has knowing or not knowing who I am shaped my life? Big question for me. Um, does my race or sex or gender define who I am? Uh, does what I achieve define who I am? Does failure, does success, does it matter if I know who I am? So a few repetitions in there. You can see that was just my brainstorming. Can you see how like, we can start? But it, this it was a very challenging week for me because this is the tip of very, very big and deep iceberg. When you start thinking about it, it can take you down, <laughs> it can take you down some bowling alleys, let me tell you. And as Shirley pointed out, there is this risk in here, isn't there? And it's called narcissism. I can get so obsessed with looking inside <laughs> um, that it can actually become like a sickness, actually. So there's this balance between the fact that if I don't know who I am, I'm a little bit lost and wandering in the world. I'm kind of like that man in James, the book of James. I'm thrown from one wave to the next. Um, I'm influenced by people. Other people can tell me who I am and I'll just believe them. But the Bible talks about a different kind of knowing. And Gregory touched on it a few weeks ago and he said, if you really know who you are, 
Nobody can tell you differently. If you know from God who you are, that's it. It's a done deal. And that's what I was after for a lot of my life because deep down I had this kind of gnawing pit in the bottom of my stomach that no matter what I achieved or how many A's in school I got or whether I was liked or not liked by people or got the job or lost the job. And even when I became a Christian, it just didn't fully go away straight away. So I did a lot of work with my brain trying to figure out answers. I'm going to give you a clue. The brain is not always the answer, is it? But it does have something to do with it. Because shifting your thinking does shift wrong ways of thinking out of the way. And sometimes it's that crack in your thinking that actually lets in the light. Okay, so next slide. So how can I know who I am really? My fonts on these slides are gone all funny for some reason. But anyway, you can still read them. Okay, so for me as a teenager, as a, in my late teens, I was introduced by my father to this man. Maybe you can go on to the next slide, Sarah. Anybody know him? Anybody heard of him? Yeah. So this guy is called Ravi Zacharias. He's originally from India, lives in Canada. And he is what is called a Christian apologist, which does not mean he apologizes. He says a better term is to say he's a Christian thinker. Um, and he answers difficult questions and tries to give thoughtful answers. For anybody interested in these big questions, and I have, I'm pretty sure that Grace is, and somebody else over here was, and I'm pretty sure these people over here are, because they're heading into that time where what you do is ask questions. Um, the website rzim.org is a great resource. But back in the day when I was a teenager, we didn't quite have the internet yet. (laughs) And on a Sunday evening, I have this memory of coming out from work and coming to sit into the car where my father would be picking me up. How many people remember my father? That's lovely. My father was a thinker, if there ever was one. (laughs) He was a questioner, if there ever was one. I may have gotten a little bit of this from him. Well, he didn't have the internet, and I bet he would have loved it so much at that time. But there was a show on the radio at that time, uh, I think on World Service, on BBC probably. And it was called Just Thinking uh, with Ravi Zacharias. And I remember this particular few months where he was doing a series on Jesus among other gods. And he broke down the question of the uniqueness of Christ in world religions and... um, from a philosophical and a logical point of view. And I just came to realize, wow, it's, there are feelings involved in becoming a Christian. But I do not have to leave my brain at the door. Anybody know that? <laughs> God is so consistent on each level of our being. And I love that about this guy. He also has an incredible character and humility and you know that. And he has suffered to bring the gospel. He, he speaks all over the world. And like more than half of the days in the year, he's speaking. Can't even imagine that. Anyway, um, he tells a story that uh, probably got me really thinking about this topic, how I'm going to pose it today, um, of a man who was imprisoned in Eastern Europe 
uh, after the Second World War under communism. I think his name was Andreas Tamas. And I think in 2000 or 2001, they were emptying out some prisons in this particular country. And this guy was come across. And nobody could understand what he said. They thought he was a raving lunatic. But eventually, somebody figured out that I think he was speaking a very old dialect of Hungarian somehow. And they got a translator in. And they discovered he was actually still in his perfect mind. But he had just been a prisoner of war who was left in this prison. He had been there for over 50 years. And he had gone in there when he was probably 18 years old. And he was coming out now nearly 70. And they asked him what was the first thing that they could do for him. He was wrongly imprisoned. They were letting him go. Like, what, what can we do to rehabilitate you? Do you know the first thing he asked for? To see? Was a mirror. He hadn't seen his own face in over 50 years. Can you imagine? But Rabbi Zacharias posed the thought. He said, well, how many of us do not have a mirror for our soul? And I realized at that moment when I heard that story that it is true. We cannot see ourselves. Just as you cannot see your own reflection if you do not look in an actual mirror, your physical reflection. We need a mirror for our souls. And of course, where do most of us go about finding that mirror? <laughs> well, we go down some wrong paths. Well, we really explored this at the, the women's night. So you can go to the next um, slides. Yeah. So we're looking for a mirror for the soul. On the women's night, we, it was called Mirror, Mirror on the Wall. That's the next slide. We talked about the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. How many men in the room know the story? The daddies. The rest of you are missing out. It's a classic fairy tale. <laughs> but you know what? It is actually a classic fairy tale for a reason. There's a wicked queen and she comes to her magic mirror and she stands in front of it and she says, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest of them all? Imagine, she was the queen. She was beautiful. Everybody probably told her she was beautiful all day long. But she needed a mirror to tell her that she was more beautiful than Snow White. See the theme? And again, my daughter is still obsessed with this story. But here's the next story that my daughter has become obsessed with lately from this old fairy tale book that my mother still had stored away from my childhood. The Ugly Duckling. How many people know this little fairy story? A few more. So what's the story? He's a little swan born into a clutch of ducklings and he's so out of place and when he's born he looks ugly according to everyone and all the animals on the farm mock him and he gets cast out for a long hard winter after the long hard winter he comes across a pond where there are some swans and he comes up to them and he says can you kill me I'm just so ugly. I'm just so useless. I just don't fit in anywhere. I'm so lonely. Like, just look at me. Can you just kill me? And what do they say? Look at your reflection. You're a swan. You're so beautiful and so elegant. And then the children come along and they're so excited there's another swan on their pond. My daughter is really interested in this. Why? Why do these stories, why have they lasted over time? Because there's something in us we need a reflection. We need something to help us see who we really are. <clears throat> and the next slide. I don't know why it's so small. What happens if I don't know who I am? Just throw out a few things there. What happens if I don't know who I am? 
Yeah, they'll believe anything. You're unstable. Yeah, you're confused. Follow the crowd. Other people define you. Yeah. Yes, easily upset by others. I have a little exercise for you. Think about the last time you were you felt really hurt or angry. It might have been because your car broke down, but if it wasn't, my guess is that it was because somebody offended you or hurt you or said a harsh word to you. And the reason you actually got upset or angry was, was they labeled you wrong, yeah. But the reason that can upset us, because remember Gregory told us, if we know who we are, what they say is not going to bother us. The reason that we do get upset is we're not sure And they are in that moment a mirror telling us that we're not okay. There's something wrong with us. And our only reaction is to get emotionally upset and head up and to lash back or defend ourselves, right? And so, of course, a lot of what I see in counseling is around this issue. So where does identity come from? So many things I could say about this. So many questions, but one thing that we have to hit on... is the question of whether it's extrinsic or intrinsic. Extrinsic simply means coming from the outside, right? Intrinsic means belonging naturally, or it's essential, it's an essential part. So, my extrinsic image of myself, if my image of myself comes from outside of myself, the things that can define me might be work, or how I look, or my possessions, or what other people say about me, or so on and so forth. It comes from outside of myself. But I just found the perfect contrast for this this week. This is Jesse. Does he have value? You better say yes. Of course he does. Why? Why does he have value? He hasn't done anything yet, except pot and cry and poop and cause a little bit of pain to his parents. He hasn't done anything yet. Where's his value coming from? Inside. Has he earned it? Has he, does he possess something? Has he made a name for himself? Is it because of his career? Is it because of his personality type? <laughs> it's intrinsic. It's from within. And the thing is, he was born with it. He was given it. It was a gift, which is so perfect because his name means gift from God. Isn't that perfect? He's a gift from God in so many ways. And he has worth. He has actually got immeasurable worth. Doesn't he? Could we measure it? No. Um, He has dignity. And someday that means he's going to have a story that's really worth hearing. And it means that He's worth caring for. He's deserving of our time and our investment and so on and so forth. Of course, his parents are going to give him that and as we as a church body are going to give him that. But you know what that means? So are you. And you and you and you. You were born with it. It was given. It's the only way I can operate as a counselor, actually. doesn't matter who comes and sits down with me in my counseling room because I believe they were made in the image of God, they come in that door with immeasurable worth and value. 
and all of the other stuff that they think is who they are is not who they are. And it might have caused incredible pain and distress to them, but it's not who they are. And we in the West right now are in the middle of an identity crisis. You know, teenagers, I think you probably get this. Would I be right in saying? Immeasurably more than we do. I think the chasm between where you guys are and where we are, the world you're walking into. Because you see, the West has taken away the foundation. They've said, nope, Bible doesn't define us. Postmodernism has said that we decide who we are. So it's either based on my feelings or what I think about myself or what you say about me or it's, or I get to choose or the other very confused end of it is, oh, well, I was just born this way and I have no choice about it. We just go with our feelings about it. We're in such a confused world right now. But guess what? We have something to say. I really believe that Christianity has something really profound and important to say on this topic. What about what the Bible says about who I am? Anybody want to shout out a few for me? What does the Bible say about who I am? New creation, loved by God. Wonderfully and fearfully made, yes. Apple of his eye. That's a good one. Child of God, yep. Friend. Well, let's go to the next slide. I just want to quickly say this first. The Bible says that we're body, soul, and spirit. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul, in his final greetings to Thessalonians, says, Now may the God of peace make you holy or make you whole in all of these ways. May your whole spirit and your whole soul and your whole body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus comes again. So he's saying there's three parts to us. The other thing the Bible tells us that is so important, and I'd love to spend longer on that, but I can't. Uh, The next slide is that we are made in the image of God. This incredible statement, Imago Dei. We're made in his image. So God said, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, (laughs) he created them. Probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Okay, do you know that the the next slide says, you are precious and priceless and greatly loved by God your Father. We can skim over that, but I'm going to get you to do something really quickly. I'm going to get you to turn to somebody beside you. And if you're not comfortable, that is okay. I want you to close your eyes and tell yourself. I want you to turn to the person beside you, look them in the eye and tell them this. Okay, so for some of you, you heard those words and you believed them with your mind 
and you felt them with your emotions and you agreed with them with your will because you know it in your spirit. Okay? For some of you, you heard those words and you agreed with it in your mind and you felt the good emotional feelings that go with that. But it's because you think you're so great. And it's actually built on a false foundation. Sorry. Youch. But it's true. And for some of you, when the person said that to you or you said that to yourself, something inside of you went, nope. Mm-mm. Mm, maybe. Maybe a little bit. But what about this bit of me? Well, what about this bit of me? Well, if, he had re- if Father God had really seen this part of me, you know. Now, maybe I'm the only one in this room who ever felt a little bit like that. But there was a time in my life where somebody turned to me and they looked me in the eye and they said that to me. And I burst out crying and I ran out of the room. That's just the reality. I didn't agree with it. I didn't believe it. I was a Christian. I knew that Jesus had died for me. But I had not, as I now come to understand it, I had not come together. I did not actually have that revelation deep down in my soul. Here's another completely different aspect to this, right? So we know we're precious and priceless and greatly loved by God our Father. But you know what Jesus says? He says something really offensive. He says, you've been born a bit wrong. You just didn't come out quite right. And it's very hard for me to look at my little nephew, Jesse, except when he's crying, and think that there's something wrong with him. Except that I have three kids already. And I know (laughs) that they come out just not quite right. And I know that I came out just not quite right. Do you know how I know that also? Because Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3.16, you have to throw the whole thing out. You have to die. And then you have to be born again. There's something about us that if we don't recognize in our identity, the part of us that Jesus says must be crucified with Christ, then we don't get the resurrection part where we're raised up to life, new life in Jesus. And from there on, everything takes off when we really understand that we're in Christ Jesus. That's a huge idea that I would love to spend more time on, but I can't. Because I have to now talk about the three different ways that we actually have formed our identity. The first is the broken self. Some of us look in the mirror and the image that we see is a broken one. We see the things that have been done to us. We see the abuse. We see the neglect. We see the hard words, the lies that have been spoken over us. Or we see the sin that we have done, how we've fallen short. And we see a broken image of ourselves. What happens then is either we blame ourselves and get stuck there, or we blame others and sue them (laughs) or get stuck there. The next one is the false self. The false self is the psychological self. It's the self that I have created based on what I have done. Look how beautiful I am. I'm beautiful, therefore I am. Or I think, therefore I am. Or I behave, therefore I am. Or, well, I feel this way, therefore I am. 
which is very current now. So there's the broken self and the false self. And the problem is if I build my life on either of these, I am subject to the winds of change, right? And I'm thrown around by my emotions in the most violent way. And that's a really painful place to be. It's also not the new life that Jesus had planned for us. And I'm, I'm pretty convinced that jealousy, fear, taking offense, hurt, disputes, all of these are attempts to protect what we would call our ego, or what Freud would call our ego, or what Carl Jung would call our shadow self. We've had to construct this image of ourselves I was looking for a distorted mirror. Do you know those ones that you sometimes have that give you like an enlarged version of yourself? This is the best one I could find. This is a dusty old... This I won't tell you how old this mirror is. You can see my collection of mirrors that never get thrown away. <clears throat> this is the distorted image of ourself. We either build ourselves up to be so wonderful at the cost, by the way. If I'm so great, I only am so great by comparing myself to you and judging that you're worse than me. Well, if I'm the cleverest in the room, then I'm judging all of you to be less clever. If I'm the most beautiful in the room, I'm judging all of you to be less beautiful. If I'm the wealthiest in the room, I'm judging all of you to be less wealthy than me. And that's the only way that this false self can be constructed. That's really shaky ground when it comes to seeing my fellow Christian as made in the image of God. And equal, right? And see the game that you have to play to keep that false self feeling okay? It's never ending, is it? Kind of understand where the West is in terms of achieving and doing and projecting an image of yourself. Does this make sense? You teenagers, you guys with me? Does that make sense to you guys? Because I think you are living it because of Instagram. (laughs) I got advertised to on Facebook the other day telling me um, I could just download this app and it would make my, they showed me my profile picture, it looked like that. And they said, your profile picture could look like this. And I was like, but I don't look like that. <laughs> but it looked really nice for a moment. <clears throat> okay, but I'm going to contrast that with the true self. So the Bible tells us that we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of God. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit. How does that come? You know, they say a a Christian is one who has met one. Is that an interesting idea? I think it's slightly wrong, because of course it means a Christian is one who has met Christ. But there's something about it. A Christian is one who has met one. Have you met one of these? Have you met someone who knows their true self? They're not needy. They don't need from you. They don't need you to tell them they're okay. They don't need you to say wonderful things about you, about themselves. They're not compulsive. They don't act on a whim, right? They're not reactionary. They live from a place within them where God is abiding and they are abiding with God. Have you met one of them? None of us are 100% there. But I have met in some of you 
that Christian. And when I've met that Christian, I want to be that Christian. I want to know my true self. You know, that's not thrown around by every whim and everybody else's opinion. This true self emerges from union with God, but you know where it starts? It starts with crucifixion. And it starts with the death of what we call our own ego. And I see a few of you nodding because I know you've been through that. It often happens in your 30s if it hasn't happened to you yet. There's kind of not a whole lot of point in me telling you teenagers about this yet because you just haven't sinned enough yet. <laughs> Sorry, but it's true. You kind of have to come to the end of yourself. Like I remember Bridget saying to me, you just kind of really get sick of it. You get sick of yourself a little bit, right? You know, you come to the end of yourself and it's just... He breaks through, but it's not so easy. It's really painful, but is it worth it? Yes. So very briefly, I'm just going to tell you how God broke through a little bit for me. When I was 22, I won't tell you how many years ago that is, but no one knew me that I remember standing in my apartment where I was living in college in Dublin and I was praying about going away for six months to YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And I really was chasing something. I was chasing to be closer with God, but I was chasing resolving this something within me that just didn't feel quite right. And God showed me a picture of an onion. And he said, I'm going to start to peel away the layers. And he did start. But that was several years ago. <laughs> and it's been a process. And I just say that to you, to for any of you starting the journey or still on the journey, that it's death and resurrection is momentary, but being transformed is a process. So he started, he stripped away one by one, the things that I thought I had my identity in. And he just made me feel so ordinary. It just wasn't about how well I was doing in college. And it just wasn't about whether I could sing or not. You know what's really painful when God does this to you? He shows you that even the good things you think you're doing for him are for selfish motives. That's a really painful one. That's a really painful one. And he strips. Not saying I don't still do it, right? Of course. But he stripped that. He brought me to a core where I was asking a question, am I really okay? Looking in the mirror and kind of going, you know, what's the verdict here? And through a process of things that I went through and prayer times and people who spoke into my life, I realized actually at that moment for the first time that deep down I had this belief I shared at the ladies' night that I thought I was supposed to be a boy. And I had been operating from that belief for all of my life, but at a just below the consciousness level, um, I also thought that I would be loved by doing boy-type things and achieving and so on and so forth. 
And in a wonderful prayer time with Bridget, <laughs> Bridget knows a lot of, she's been there for a lot of these key moments. Um, God took me back to moments in my life. And, and this is why I just want to point out just really, really important that I had tried for many, many years to get there by my brain. I had asked some really important questions. I had tried to figure it out. I had learned lots of things, but I hadn't got there. Do you get me? I think those things were really important to know and to learn, but it didn't get me there. And I've sat in counseling with people and I've told them till I'm blue in the face. Not really, it's not how it works, but you know what I mean? I could tell them till I'm blue in the face that they're perfect and precious and priceless and they just don't believe me. And people had told me I was precious and priceless and I just didn't believe them. God has to come this bit of Christianity, I believe, only comes through revelation. Not through the mind, not through the will, not through the emotions, though they have their part to play. It comes through the spirit. It's spiritually discerned. He breaks through. And he gave me a wonderful image that day. He took me back through the, the images that I didn't want to remember of starting school on the first day of primary school with my hair cropped short and the girl in my class saying, why is there a boy in our class? <laughs> and, um, and just times down on the farm working hard hoping that my father would notice and think I was finally the son that he wanted he took me back through those and he took me to the same places but this time I was a bride I was dressed in white and I had long hair and I was beautiful and he was with me and he showed me who I was that was several years ago and then just a couple of years ago there was still something in me. And I was like, you know, God, I really, that's fixed that I believe that I was supposed to be a girl, but there's still something about me. I feel a bit weird. I just feel a bit different from other people, you know? What's, like, what's the story, God? Like, why am I just, why am I like this? Why do I have these impulses? And, da, 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 and why do I pursue this? Um, and I guess God had taken enough layers away at that stage as he was like, okay, I think you're ready to show you the next bit. And this image just does not do it justice. But God took me in a vision, right? Not literally, although that would be cool too. In a vision, he gave me a picture of flying with Jesus high above a beautiful valley where there were green, green pine trees and blue water. There was a blue sky above us. And he had a paintbrush. And he took a paintbrush and he took color from each of those things in creation. And I just can't explain it. He swirled them. He took them and put them inside a marble. You know marble, like a glass ball that kids play with? And he showed me that all of these things, all these crazy different things that I was interested in, love of nature and animal and peoples and buildings and all these things. Like he had taken all these bits and uniquely formed me into something beautiful. And he put it here and it's never left. And in here it's fixed and sure. And I know I was created on purpose by him in his image. Thank you, God. <clears throat> The Bible says he has created us anew in Christ Jesus for a reason, so that we can do the good things 
He planned for us. Not good works, although those two. But he planned good things for us. When we're in Christ Jesus, you are God's masterpiece. And that is cause for confidence and joy and wonder and awe and the deepest humility because I didn't make myself. I didn't make me. He made me. (laughs) So when somebody comes up to me and says, oh, you look great today, Fiona. I'm not very good at taking compliments. You know what my response is? Few of you have gotten this. God made me. (laughs) Well, thanks, but God made me. Glory to him. Like, he did a good job. Um, Do you know who you were created to be? There is my question. Has it settled? Has it fixed? I know some of you got this. I know some of you have got this way better than I do. But if you don't, can I just say, you're missing out. It is a beautiful, beautiful gift that God wants to give. And you might think that if you die to yourself and become one with Jesus and you live in him, if we all did that, we would all become just like Jesus, right? But the incredible thing is, no, you become more yourself. You die to yourself and you become, you identify with him, you're in him, and then you just become more yourself, exactly who he made you to be. And you know that when you've met a real Christian who's really got this. So that's my prayer for you. So we're going to take a minute. I know we are really over time. We're going to take a minute because you need to ask. So you need to get your pen and paper and you need to close your eyes right now. And you need to ask yourself this question. Do, you, do I know who God has created me to be? Do I know that I am his masterpiece? Do I know that I am made new in him? Do I know that I've been crucified with him? And that I am now an heir with Jesus? Complicated, but yet so simple. And if not, I encourage you to pray a prayer and just start the process today and just say, God, show me. And then I encourage you to pursue knowing that with all of your heart. If that means, come, ask for prayer. If that means, get in your closet and seek him and knock and seek and ask until he shows you and keep doing it and trust him.